0: amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to the 14th chapter of John's Gospel. I am enjoying, if that is the right word, my annual head cold and allergy. So uh, bear with me today. Pray for me today. Uh, I was sitting there feeling sorry for myself, and feeling kind of miserable with a headache, and everything clogged up. And then we sang, Behold Our God. And I thought, how silly. How silly to feel that way when we serve such a great and mighty and awesome God. And so I uh, I said, okay, Lord, it's not by my strength, but it's by your strength It's not in my But in your grace, so here we are and here we go in John's gospel. An important passage. We've already talked about the fact that Jesus is now launching into his farewell discourse. Those 11 men that are still with him, there were 12, Judas has now gone out, and those 11 men that are still with him, apostles, those specifically called and set apart by Jesus Christ, For the propagation of the gospel throughout all the world, understand this, that you are here this morning, believers in Jesus Christ, because of the faithfulness of those 11 men. You are here this morning as a direct descendant, spiritually speaking, of those 11 men who went forth and shared the gospel under great duress, under great stress, under great danger for the glory of God and the glory of Christ. You are here this morning and I am here this morning because of their testimony. And so Jesus gathers them around. We saw last week, you know, they, they wanted to argue with him a little bit. No, Lord, you're not going anywhere. If you go, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll die with you, Peter said. And Jesus said, well, before the, for before the rooster, even crows, you're going to deny me and, and all these things. We, we see those taking place in the scripture. But in verse four, chapters 14... 15 and 16 particularly, he lays out his plan, he lays out his purpose for what he wants you and me to understand about the Christian life. And he says, this is vital, this is important for you to get this. And he starts out by talking about comfort, if you will, comforting words for anxious hearts or troubled hearts. These men are troubled they love the Lord. They've spent time with Him. They have been taught by Him, instructed, and, and, and all through their, these three years or so of ministry. And now, He's saying, I'm going away. And they don't like that. They're nervous about that. They're worried about that. They're anxious that He's going to leave them. Here is words starting in verse 1 of chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. King James translates that in mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no no one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now, From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. First thing I want you to see here in these first three verses, primarily, is I want you to see this precious remedy for an age-old disease of worry and anxiousness. There's a remedy here that Jesus gives that says, are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you troubled? He's saying to these 11 there, but the truth that he has given us is not just for those 11, but they're for you and me also. Are you troubled? Are you anxious? Are you worried? Are you afraid? Life is just not dealing you a good deal and you're worried about how you're going to get through it. You're worried about what's going to take place. Then Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. You believe in God. You know that God is real. Believe also in me. The remedy for a troubled heart, the remedy for anxiousness, the remedy for worry is faith. That's the cure. That's the thing that is the solution to the problem that these disciples were experiencing. And let's be honest, that you and I experience regularly, if we're honest with ourselves. We go through times of anxiousness. We go through times of worry. The early church did that. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Philippian Christians, said in Philippians chapter 4, he said, be anxious for nothing. You can turn that around in translation and say, don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. In other words, don't worry, but have faith. Don't worry, but trust. In these passages, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Philip says, Lord... Show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus says, don't you understand that for three years or plus I have been with you and I have shown you the Father, I have shown you His glory, I have shown you His grace, I have talked about nothing but what the Father is doing and what the Father came to do, and yet you still don't understand? Part of the reason they didn't understand was because their eyes were still fixed on earthly things. Part of the reason they didn't understand, part of the reason they were troubled, part of the reason they said, well, show us the Father, or we don't know where you're going because we just don't know the way, is because they have yet to see the glory of God that is standing or sitting right there in their presence, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They're still so earthly-minded. They're still wondering, what is this all about? Why is this happening? what is taking place why would you leave us but faith in the lord jesus is really the only sure medicine the only sure cure for troubled hearts isaiah wrote in isaiah 26 3 said you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you you want to know peace in your life you want to know real peace in the daily turmoil that comes your way then stay, in the King James phraseology, stay your mind in Him. Stay your mind on Him. And stay just means fix it there and leave it there and see how He is at work and trust Him to work out even in all these various circumstances to be the one who will work it out for His glory and by His grace. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust Don't let your hearts be anxious. Faith it. Not fake it. Faith it. Believe it. Know it to be true. And stay your heart and stay your mind upon Jehovah, upon God, upon Jesus Christ, and set your eyes upon him. The second thing Jesus says here about for the troubled heart is, he said, I want you to understand, it's not only in this life, fixing your eyes upon him, but your heart will be, will be relieved, your heart will be settled, your, your anxiousness will be cured if you also understand that there is, a, there is a comfortable place of rest that is yet out there. That is heaven, the abode of the saints, the place where every person who has put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ will one day be, and Jesus says, I want you to understand this, don't let your heart be troubled, think about me, believe in me, trust in me now, but I want you to know, I'm going and preparing a place for you. We don't don't talk a lot about heaven sometimes, it seems like, anymore. We don't don't think a lot about heaven anymore. We're like these disciples. We are so centered, so anchored, so fixed upon this world, that all we think about is what's going on around us here, Jesus said, I want you to know I'm going away so that I can prepare a place for you. My Father's house has many dwelling places, and those places are being fixed for you. Heaven is a Father's house. (coughs) Excuse me. I don't know about you, but when my folks were still alive, I used to love to go back to my Father's house. There was just something about going there and being there, the, the security, the serenity of, of having grown up there and been a part of that house. And, and no matter where I was, where, where I was living, there was always some comfort to go back to my father's house. To know that he was there and mom was there, and, and, and while things have changed and circumstances have changed, it's still the same house that I spent the first 18 years of my life in. You know, It was just some comfort there. Jesus says, I want you to know there's a father's house waiting for you. When all this world is over, when all of this conflict is over, when all of these troubles are over, I want you to know I'm preparing a place for you. I am preparing my father's house. But it's not only my father, it's also your father. I go to my father and I go to your father. If you're adopted into the family of God, Jesus says, you're a part of this. He says, heaven is a place of Many dwelling places. If you go back to King James, it says many mansions. Mansions, and the idea there of of the dwelling places and the mansion idea is that this is a place that is secure. It is lasting. It is permanent. It is eternal. (coughs) Excuse me. There's no temporality to it like there is in this life. It is firm, it is fixed, and it is fixed by God. And it's a place of many mansions. There's, there's plenty of room for all believers, believers of all sorts big saints and little saints and strong saints and, and weak saints. He says, I'm going to prepare it for you. And, and it's a home, it's the Father's home. Doesn't matter if you're strong or weak, important or. Or in your own eyes, insignificant. It's a home for you. You can trust me in this life and I will give you peace if you fix your mind and heart upon me. But I want you to know when this life is over, there's even yet a better place that I will prepare for you. It says, I go and prepare a place for you. And I'm not. And if I do it, I'm, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. I'm, I'm going to come so that where I am, there you may be also. I've been with you for three and a half years or so. I'm going to leave you for a time. But when you go where I am going in my father's house, your father's house, I'm going to come and get you and bring you back. Now that may be at the second coming of the Lord. That may be when he comes and takes you home when you leave this life because of physical death he says don't you understand this i'm going to bring you to be where i am i'm going to bring you into my presence because heaven is not just a home heaven is not just a father's house heaven is not just something after this life is over but heaven is a place where christ himself will be present I guess I could ask you a question, a probing question. It's not original with me, but I would ask you this this morning to think about it a little bit. You know, sometimes we think about heaven. We think about the mansions. We think about the golden streets. Think about the pearly gates. We think about, uh, you know, the sea of glass that looks like so so perfect and so beautiful. All these all these rare jewels that John describes in in the Book of Revelation. All these things all around and. And we know it's a place of no sickness and and no death and no pain and no suffering. and, And it's just absolutely an idyllic situation. As a matter of fact, it is the ultimate utopia. It's something we're always trying to find on earth and never can. But it is in reality what it is. Perfect. You won't be sick. You won't have any pain. It's a pretty good deal. Let me ask you this question. If you go to heaven today, or whenever's your time, and you know there's no sickness, no pain, no suffering, everything's idyllic, and yet Jesus is not there, will that be all right with you? You see, the way you answer that question will pretty much tell you really, who or what your God is. If you were to say, no, heaven would not be heaven without Jesus. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how perfect it is. If Jesus were not there, he's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's the one upon whom I fix my life. But if you say, well, I can, yeah, I can get along without him. No big deal, as long as everything's perfect, as long as I'm not sick, as long as I've got no pain everything's all right, then your God is yourself, not Him. Do you understand that? It's it's wanting to be satisfied in yourself, not satisfied in the presence of Christ alone. So heaven is a place that is a home, a Father's home, that is filled with comfort and perfection and, and absolute care, no sickness, no disease, but it's also where Christ himself is present. This passage teaches us that that we're on solid ground expecting good things yet to come. Jesus promises it. He says it. And if he is who he says he is, the Son of God, Messiah, Savior, Lord, Then we have it on on solid ground to expect those things. And so, so Jesus' cheering words here to these disciples, not only trust in me, but one cheering word is, I go to prepare for you. Hear that, folks. When Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, he went to prepare a place for you. And then the second cheering word he gives is, if I go to prepare a place for you... I will come again and receive you to myself. Now, these disciples were troubled. Jesus said in verse 4, you know where I'm going. You know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Don't miss this. This next statement of Jesus, we use many times just kind of flippantly and kind of lightly, but it's so significant. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. I want you to see the definite article that's in front of each one of those. I want you to see the emphasis and the, 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 the impact of what Jesus is saying here. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas kind of wanted him to give him a road map, you know. <coughs> you're going to heaven, that's that's you travel six miles here and take a left or take a right and, and then you're there. He says, no. No, you gotta understand, Thomas. You you, gotta understand, I can't give you a map. I can only give you myself. Can only give you myself. I, Jesus said, I am the way. The way to heaven and the way to peace with God. He's not just a guide. He's not just a teacher or a lawgiver like Moses. He's not just somebody who says, listen, go that way and and you'll find peace like every other religious leader in the world is. Go and try to find it over there. But Jesus says, no, I want you to understand, I myself am the door, I'm the ladder, I'm the road, and and it's only in me and through me that you can draw near to God. I am the way. You want a map? Look at me, Jesus said. You want a directional map? GPS? Look at me. I will show you because I am the way. You follow me, you trust in me, and you'll understand the way to heaven and the way to peace with God even in this life. But not only am I the way, I'm the truth. Not a truth. I'm not part of the truth. I'm not a piece of the puzzle where if you take me and add a bunch of stuff to it, or even a few things to it, then you'll know what truth is. He says, no, I am the truth, absolute, complete, totality. I am the way, I am the truth. Jesus the whole substance of true faith, the whole substance of true religion, which the mind of man requires. not a matter of trying to get something more. It's a matter of knowing Him. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. There's no indefiniteness in any of this. There's no point of perhaps there's some other way, some other truth, some other life. No, the sinner's title to eternal life and pardon is in Christ. The believer's root of spiritual life and holiness, the surety of the Christian's resurrection life is in Him and Him alone. I might note that in this one verse, verse 6, one simple verse, Jesus expressly shuts out all ways of salvation except himself, but himself. He shuts it out. He declares, no man comes to the Father but through me. It's not a matter of being clever. It's not a matter of being learned. It's not a matter of being highly gifted or are amiable and nice and charitable and kind-hearted and zealous as to some form of religion. Listen, Paul was zealous prior to his conversion, don't forget. He was zealous for religion, but he was lost until he met Christ. All of this. You know, somebody somebody asked me, well, "How do you how do you account for many religions around the world that are a whole lot more devout than we are how do you account for a religion that that religiously prays five times a day the call is given out they lay out their prayer mat they lay down and in a certain direction and they pray and they quote their 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 holy book and they, they they over and over they pray and and man they would not dare miss that that's pretty zealous if you ask me It's just lifeless. It doesn't have the way, it doesn't have the truth, and it doesn't have the life that is only found in Jesus Christ. All of this will not save a person. All of this will not secure salvation or draw a person near to to God. Only Christ's atonement. Only Christ's atonement on the cross, validated by his resurrection. Bring a person to him. We'll close with this today. There's more in this passage, and I'm just not going to get to it. We'll close with this. We we really should, lastly, think about these verses (coughs) about the mysterious union that is between God and the Son, the Father and the Son. Over and over here, he says in these verses, starting in verse 9. When Philip says, show us the Father and it's enough for us. He says, have I been with you so long and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I've been living the Father out before you. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. He says it over and over here. He says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I speak not of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe in me. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. You have seen what God has done. There's a bit of mystery here. These sayings are full of mystery. God is on his throne in heaven, the Father is in the heavenly places, the Son is here with us on earth, and yet Jesus says, I'm showing you the Father because the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Later he's going to tell us he's going to send the Holy Spirit and wraps up the whole concept of the Trinity which we'll deal with in weeks to come. But what I want you to see right here is this, that Jesus in this passage is concerning himself with comforting those are troubled. You can know comfort because if you have faith in me. You can know comfort if you fix your eyes upon me, fix your heart upon me, trust in me and me alone. You can have comfort because I'm going and preparing a place for you. I, I, he's going to say later, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as one without someone who cares for you and loves you and protects you. I'm going to watch over you even in, my, even in what you perceive as my absence. I'm not really absent. But there's that mysterious thing. Believe that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Believe that I am revealing to you Almighty God, the one, the only, the true and the living God. Believe and know. it may very well be that you're here this morning. Your heart's troubled. I I, I text back to my friend that, that texted me earlier just to pray for him. I said, You know, I'm I'm preaching on John 14, 1 through 14 today. Go back and read 1 through 3. And he texts back to me, Thank you, brother. I needed that. You know, it's it's a matter of reality that if we take our eyes off of him, we will become troubled. If we think we can solve it ourselves and and fix things ourselves, we will become troubled. If we worry about why this isn't working out that way and this isn't working out that way and we're all troubled because that's the way we think it ought to work out, we will become troubled and worrisome and anxious and in reality, when we worry, and listen, I can say this because you're looking at the biggest worrier in the world. I could write the book on it. But when I do that, when you do that, you know what you're saying? You're saying, I really don't believe Jesus is telling me the truth. I really don't believe that God is sovereign and that God is in control of all things. I really don't believe what I say I believe. That's what worry says. When you worry, you become a practical atheist. You deny God's word. And you think somehow, some way, I gotta fix it. Paul said, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but pray. Bring your concerns before the Father. Bring your concerns before the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray. Seek His face. Stay your heart and your mind upon Him, and He will give you peace. So, where are you this morning? Are you trusting in Him? Or are you kind of like I sometimes find myself? I don't want to be there. But living like a practical atheist. Oh, I believe in God. Oh, I wish I'm worried about this. You know? Those two don't fit. And Jesus is saying to you and me, trust in me for everything big things, little things. Everything. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for your word, your truth, your presence, your promises, your. Lord, for just that bold and powerful statement that you are the way, the way, the truth, the life. Lord, you left us no wiggle room there. You left us no room for equivocating. Father, comfort us in that. Strengthen us in that. That we may honor you. Father, I pray for men and women who are here this morning, young people who don't know you. I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit will break their hearts and bring them to Christ. I pray for others, Lord, who are just living as practical atheists who just need to deal with with that where they stand in a few minutes (coughs) and fix their minds and fix their hearts upon you. Father, I pray. You will teach us your truth. Lead us in your way. And comfort us in the midst of that. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.